Anyway, I want to welcome you to Relevant Faith Church this morning. My name is Mike Womer. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith. We are excited that you have joined us here this morning. So this morning, for a few more minutes, I want to share with you a message that God has placed on my heart. We've been in this series for the last, wow, this is the 13th week that we have preached this series called The Everyday Spirit. Last week, we started with part one of that series talking about the Holy Spirit at the birth of Jesus. And we talked from a perspective of understanding how the Holy Spirit appeared to Zechariah and to Elizabeth and, and allowed Elizabeth, who had been who is much older, and allowed her to become pregnant when she was considered to be barren and without the ability to have children and and all that taking place prior to the birth of Christ. And so we talked about a few things as we unpacked this idea of the Holy Spirit appearing to Mary and to Joseph. And we talked about how they found themselves in a very unique situation. And they found themselves, and Mary found herself, giving birth to a very unique person that would be Christ in a very unique way. And then ultimately it led to her obedience to God, where she said at the end of everything, I'd let your will be done and let everything that you have said take place and happen in my life. And so it brings us to today, and, and I chose to play the story rather than read the story because that guy's voice is a whole lot cooler than mine. And so after, as, as, you, as you listened to the story that was read, the the, the Christmas story, has been, as is told in Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 20, we see the Holy Spirit working again, and this time right at the birth of Christ and even after the birth of Christ. And so Jesus, one of the things that it is the thought, the predominant thought in the birth story is where he would be born, that he'd be born in Bethlehem and that he would be found in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And it's interesting because we oftentimes glorify this moment as this beautiful thing. And, and we have these mangers and we have these pictures of wise men and Mary and Joseph and shepherds and everyone around Jesus in this manger. But it was anything really but glorious. In the heavens, it was glorious. What it meant for earth and us is glorious. But the moment itself was not glorious. I mean, think about it like this. Traveling through the desert, pregnant, ready to give birth. Everywhere they go saying, there is no room for you here. And they settle for a manger. A manger is just a polite and kind word. Rather than saying it was a feeding trough. It was a place where livestock would put their face to gobble up the food that the farmer had set out, that the shepherd had set out. It was a dirty, dirty thing. It, it's not like it was this sterile environment like we have today when we go to the hospital and, we get, and, and, and you have children in the hospital. It's this clean environment. It was anything but a clean environment. It was, matter of fact, it was quite filthy. And that's where Jesus would be born and laid, a cattle feed box. It doesn't sound as good. It doesn't, tell, it doesn't tell the story as well to say, there you will find the son laying in a cattle feed box, filthy and dirty, 
with the residue of slobber of the animal who was eating and salivating over what he was eating, right? That doesn't, that doesn't sound as nice. But that's the reality of where the Savior of the world came from and where he would be laid. And then we see the appearance, the Holy Spirit manufacturing the appearance of an angel to the shepherds in the field, and they would let them know about this birth of this Messiah and then instructed him to find him. And what's interesting is when the Bible says that the angel was joined by a vast host of others in heaven declaring God's glory and praising him for the birth of Jesus, God opened the windows of heaven for just a moment. Because if you think about it, it was read, so it had to have been seen. It was written, so it had to have been seen. This isn't just one of those things, I I think this took place. This was written, the gospel according to Luke. It was written that God opened up the heavens And a vast army of angels was singing. And so God had this moment where he opened up the heavens to see this army of soldiers, of angels, praising God. And so what I want to focus on for the rest of our time today concerning this Holy Spirit at birth idea is what took place next. It's not a a message that I've heard preached too often, although I have heard it preached, so I'm not, it's not like I'm delivering anything new, because the Bible's very clear, there's nothing new under the sun, and so, but it's something that really struck me as I walked through this story of the birth of Jesus, and so, most of the movements of the Holy Spirit through the birth of Jesus were very significant, but also very quiet, There weren't these loud entrances or these boisterous proclaims other than just what was being told individually to Mary and ultimately what would be told to Zechariah and to Joseph. And we're going to talk a little bit about another moment. Luke mentions another action on the Spirit's part that took place after Jesus had been born. It happened when Mary and Joseph took their newborn son to Jerusalem for the ceremony of purification. It was something that Moses decreed all children should experience and and go through, that this ceremony of purification is probably not a lot unlike what we do when we dedicate a child to the Lord. And so this young couple shows up with this baby, and you got to remember there's some scandal involved here. You know, you have Mary, a teenage girl, pregnant, not married, Joseph struggling with the idea of, of how this all took place. And they go up to the temple with no, probably with seemingly with no expectation, not expecting to be acknowledged in any way, not expecting for anybody to fawn over their beautiful baby. And they're approached by a stranger. He took interest in this child. He took the child in his arms And he started bursting into spontaneous praise to God. And he made some extraordinary claims about the infant he was holding. And Mary and Joseph, imagine, I I would imagine, had to be kind of taken back by this encounter. You know, and the prophetic words that were being spoken. Luke tells the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 35. And the Bible says, At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly awaiting, eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
Verse 27, the Bible says, The day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and that day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, Jesus, to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Can you imagine this happening and taking place in your life with your child as you bring in all of a sudden some stranger ra- grabs them up and, and, and starts to speak things over their life that seemingly m- are amazing to even be said and they take you back a little bit. It, it's funny because take, I want to take a few moments to look at this prophecy that was spoken over Jesus and the blessing that was then spoken to Mary. But it's, it's really interesting because one of the passages of Scripture, one of the parts of that Scripture says that Mary, that Mary and Joseph were amazed at what was being said. I find that to be interesting because here's Mary and Joseph who just gave birth to a son that they themselves physically did not conceive. And yet they were still amazed by what someone would say. I mean, I'm thinking about myself for now. I'm thinking if that took place in my life, I don't know that you could astonish me anymore. You're telling me I'm going to have a child. I had no part of making this child, but it's still my child. That would be enough to amaze me for, the li- for my life. Right? But here we have them even more amazed at what he was saying. And so let's break this down a little bit, look at a few things that he said in this passage of Scripture and hopefully come up with something that's relevant to our life and our walk today. So the first, one of the first things he said in verse number 30 is that he is salvation. This is in your notes. If you walked in, you got a note sheet. If you want to track with us, you're welcome to do so. There's some blanks in there. Help you and me stay connected and also, but it gives us something to look at and look to later on in the week or weeks ahead and you want to reflect and recall what was preached on a Sunday morning when you went to church. This is the, the tool that we give you to do that. But he said in verse 30, he says, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. It's very simply that Jesus is, he is salvation. We shared this a little bit last week when, when the angel appeared to Mary and said some of the things that he said to her. And he said, he is salvation. And what does that mean? That, that salvation in Jesus is more than just praying and asking forgiveness for our sin. I mean, that's what we talk about, and, and it's very important to do, and it's the beginning of what is to take place, but it really is just the beginning. Salvation really, in its purest form, is a wholeness that we're offered to receive. What does that mean? So it's, it's like, okay, I've given my life to Christ. I remember that day very, very clearly in my life. It was around this time. 20 years ago that I gave my life to Christ. 21 years ago. Wow, I missed a year. Last year was 20. 21 years ago, around this time, I gave my life to Christ. And I remember the moment very, very clearly. 
And when I, when I did that, when I laid myself at the altar and I wept and I cried and I prayed and I, all these things because I had no, on, no understanding of what was going on or even that I needed this person called Jesus. I remember that moment. But here's what I do also remember. I also remember that that moment, as beautiful and wonderful and, and extraordinary as it was, wasn't the end. It was actually just the beginning. Because for the next several years, I would do a whole lot of work on me. And when I say I, it usually means I with God and the Holy Spirit, conviction, all the process that takes place. Because even though I experienced salvation in that moment, my soul, my, my, my spirit was right with God. How many know my body, my mind, my will, my emotions, they weren't really right with God? The words that were coming out of my mouth surely weren't always glory to God in the highest. Sometimes they were like, I hate this, and you can choose whatever colorful word you want to place before as an adjective, as I would describe a fence that I would be building. Because here's the thing, it's this moment your spirit is caught up with the Lord, and this moment your spirit is made right, it still takes time for the, the mind and the body and the, and, and, and the will and the emotions to follow. And so salvation is both instantaneous and continuous. It's something that you go on a journey. You could call the journey sanctification if you like. That's what the church likes to use. And I like just using the word, it's my journey. My salvation journey is still going on today. And so it's a wholeness in Christ. And we think about that. We think about that moment. In that moment, you were made right. In that moment, you were made perfect. But life itself isn't perfect. And nothing will be perfect just simply because I said, Jesus, I need you in my life. As a matter of fact, there's a pretty decent chance it's still going to be very challenging. Because here's what happens. Life is a struggle and life is a challenge. Yet, But when we give our life to Christ, now you've gotten the devil's attention. Yes, there is a very real devil. Yes, he is roaming the earth seeking whom he may devour and destroy. He's very real. And when, when, you, when you make a declaration to say, I belong to Jesus, now you've perked up his ears and you've gotten his attention. And so certainly he's not going to let everything be smooth in your life. It just wouldn't be the way that this world works. But wholeness in Christ is perfect. Life isn't perfect, but wholeness is. We're expecting things to be washed away, and we get confused. Our sin, yes, is washed away. Matter of fact, the Bible says it's tossed into a sea of forgetfulness, meaning that God doesn't even recall it nor remember it. But the consequences of decisions, the things that the residue of what it's left in us, the struggle, the challenge, the bitterness that's rooted in us, the insecurities that it creates, those things are things we have to walk through on a regular basis. Those things are things we have to allow God to minister to, allow God to heal in our lives. Because if we don't, we have this great form of faith and godliness, and it's real. It's not a matter of whether you're going to enter into the kingdom of God or not. It's just a matter of how whole you're going to be on earth. How much joy you will experience on earth. And so that's when, when, 
when the prophet Simeon was declaring over, I have seen your salvation, he's saying, I have seen wholeness in Christ. I have seen healing in Christ. I have seen deliverance in Christ. I have seen people set free, bondages broken in the name of Jesus. That's what Simeon was prophesying. Yes, this infant baby wrapped in swaddling cloths in a cattle feeding box is going to bring, be the one who brings healing to the world. Now, we still have to deal with these, what baggage comes from our lives and our choices and our decisions. Some of them that we've made and others that have been made to and affected us. But we still have to deal with the baggage. And let me, I'm, I'm going to move on here in just a second. But let me just tell you this. You'll never truly experience all that God has for you if you don't deal with the baggage that is in you. You just can't. You can't. You'll experience some great things and you might, and, and you might have some moments of joy and some moments of peace and some moments of strength and courage. But you'll never truly experience the fullness of God without dealing with the baggage that's inside. A lot of that baggage takes place in our childhood and relationships that have come around us and have affected us over the years. When Simeon prophesied, he said, I see wholeness. In verse 32, he said that he is light. He is light. The Bible says he is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. It's more than just a bright light that is around us and the, the lights that are even in my face. This is a brightness, but there's more to that because it's more clearly defined when he says he is the light to reveal God to the nations. A more clear definition, and this is, I think, perhaps one of the most powerful definitions of any word I've ever studied in Scripture. And it says... This is what he's actually meaning when he says this. And he says it in, in their language. And he's, in their language, they know when he uses this word, this is what it means. But this light that he refers to is more clearly defined as a manifestation of God's existence. To, reveal bo to re both reveal and impart life in earth. So the whole point of his birth was to be revealing but also impart life. When I said, I see he is a light, he was designed to bring and light up darkness. You know, if we blacked out every light in this, in this room, it would get dark. You wouldn't be able to see. There's no windows bringing in any natural light. But if you took every single light in the room and made it blacked out, you would see nothing. And that's what the world looks like spiritually. It's darkness. And Jesus, born that day, brought light. He came to this earth. Jesus came to this earth. He was declared by the prophet in front of all the people in the temple. See, you got to imagine, this isn't one of these private moments. They went into a private room. This is something that publicly took place in the temple, that people's attention would have been drawn because Simeon was an Old Testament prophet, and he was widely regarded as a man of God and a messenger of his. And so when he spoke, guess what? People listened. And so when he grabbed this baby and he spoke these things over this baby, 
people would have heard. There was a plot to kill Jesus from day one. A lot of it had to do with what others, what God revealed to others about him, what God revealed to Isaiah about him, what God revealed to Simeon about him, what God revealed to Mary and Joseph concerning him caused so much fear that there was a plot from day one to kill him. What's interesting about that is simply the plot to kill Jesus, while seemingly a sinister and evil plot, was actually God's design. Because Jesus born beautifully and wonderfully that we celebrate the Savior of the earth coming from heaven to earth. He came for one purpose. He came to suffer and he came to die. So while these people were thinking, I'm going to destroy this child, they were actually fulfilling the will of God. It's interesting how they have this idea that, okay, we're killing him. He's gone but they actually were fulfilling prophecy from thousands of years before. And so what is being said to Mary and Joseph is so unbelievable that they themselves, the Bible says, were amazed. It's interesting because that, that, that word amazed literally means they were so filled with wonder and awe they could barely speak. And I'm thinking, wow, you just gave birth to the Holy Spirit's son. And you're still amazed by what God would say. That's the beauty of, of our God. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. This is not in your notes. This is something God added to me this morning that I wanted to add to this message. The Bible says, the word gave life to everything that was created. The word in this context is Jesus. And his life brought light to everyone. And here's why. Here's the thing. The light in the darkness, and darkness can never extinguish it. And so when you think about this beautiful day, the birth of Christ, the one thing, one of the things I want to leave you with that I want you to truly experience and truly understand is, is there's no amount of darkness that could be in you, around you, brought to you, that could have confronted you. There's no amount of darkness that could extinguish the light of Jesus. None. No amount of darkness. That's when Simeon said he is the light, that's what he said. He went on in verse 35 to say he reveals. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. The prophet is declaring that the presence of Jesus, all thoughts, all reasoning, all things that were previously covered will be revealed. It's the same conversation when they talk. It's the same word revealed. This is what it actually means. There's another passage of scripture that really defines it very well. When he said the sin of man will be made known in the lights of heaven. So what we keep hidden and what we keep dark always will be revealed. Anybody got any experience with that? Have you ever had something hidden, something dark, some sin inside of you that it's like, oh, nobody really knows about it, so it's really not that bad, and then all of a sudden, bam, something happens, and everybody knows about it. It's biblical. Sin will be made known in the lights of heaven. I personally would prefer for my sin to be out and open, therefore, so it would not be made known in the lights 
don't know about you, but how would you like the story of your life to be on this gigantic screen? That every little sin that you walk in and everything that you do is right up there for everyone to see. That would not be a comfortable position for any of us. But that's the truth of how life works apart from Christ. And so if we will walk in these things, we will understand that he is salvation, we'll understand that he is light, and we'll understand that he reveals and walk in that relationship with him, there's a pretty good chance your sin won't be on any screen. Except that we are human, and our first instinct usually is to cover up what we've done. I think about, I'm going to lighten the mood in here a little bit because it feels a little bit weighty in here. So I'm going to, I don't know if it's just sleepiness from the comfortable chairs or it's a weighty morning. I'm going to lighten it up a little bit. I'm thinking of a movie. It's called Big Daddy. There we go. There's some laughter. Where Adam Sandler is, becomes a father. To a child is really not his child, but he kind of takes it on because it belongs to his best friend. And he teaches the kid something. He teaches the kid how to cover up a mistake. The kid wets the bed. So what does he do? The good parent in him covers it with newspaper. I covered it up with paper. I don't see it. Right? So then you would see multiple scenes that would then take place. The kid spills milk all over the kitchen table and proceeds to cover it up. Now, this is what we do. Our instinct is to cover up a a mistake, thinking, hey, if I just do this, no one will really know that that just took place. So let me cover it up. But every cover-up needs a cover-up, and every cover-up of a cover-up needs a cover-up. Because, unfortunately, things are peeled away, and it's like, oh, there, like, that doesn't make any, it's happened in my own life, personally, it's affected me when I've tried to cover things up, it's happened as a father with my children trying to cover things up, you don't have to teach them this, somehow, some way, they just know how to try to cover things up, it's like children, I tell you all the time, we don't have to teach them to be selfish, right? I guarantee one of the first 15 words of your child's life or your life was mine. We don't have to teach this. This is normal. And so when we think about the idea of how he reveals things, he uses so many different avenues. Everything from gifting from the Holy Spirit and discernment to just depending on the stupidity of a child. To do, they were trying to do something they shouldn't do, and they just kind of left it out in the open. You know, I attempted that once. Jacked up an old car that we had. So I drove it when I wasn't supposed to drive it. And I figured, oh, you know, I can get away with this. It's an old car. No one pays attention to an old car, except I broke the lock to get in because it was trying to help unlock it, and I, and I forgot that it had a little trick to it, and I broke it. And then I tried to say, hey, well, it wasn't me. I don't know how that. Someone must have broke into the garage, broke the lock, and left. 
I couldn't even pull that story off. It's built within us, but God says that the deepest thoughts, the prophet said the deepest thoughts of hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. So what happens is through his presence, see, this, there's, there's this, there's the, that's, the, that's the negative side of it, our sin being made known in light. But here's what's really cool. When we encounter Jesus, most of us don't even realize or even know that we're actually in need of him. That was me. I, I, was, I was blissfully unaware of the fact that Jesus existed or I even needed Jesus. And a matter of fact, I would sit in church and I'd have this little attitude like, I don't need none of this. I'm too cool for this. I'm fine with, getting, with my drink. I'm fine with getting high. I'm cool with where I am. I'm only here because this woman next to me told me I had to come to church. I don't need any of this. You know, and so Jesus would grip my heart, and I was totally unaware that I even needed him. And so that's the beauty of his revelation. And what happens through his presence is he reveals what we need. And then what's really cool, he meets the need. That's, what I, that's, why I, that's part of why the church here, this church, is the church that it is. And we talk about meeting the needs of people in our community because when the need is revealed, the need then should be met because that's what Jesus does. He models it. So what should I do with this Holy Spirit revelation of Christ at Christmas? This is the part where I'm going to give you three quick practical things and then we'll wrap up our message this morning. So what should I do? The first one is, I think, the most important one that there is to man is to make room for him. You've got to make room for Jesus. No innkeeper would make room for Jesus. Everywhere they travel, there is no room for you. There is no room for you. No one would make room for him. And unless you make room for him, there's nothing that can come and bless your life because everything that you would receive is attached with conditions. The only thing in life that is, has no conditions is whether Christ loves you or not. Now, it's preached that it's a free gift, and it is a free gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it, but the truth is it will cost us something. It will cost us actually everything. But what, we, what it costs us fails in comparison to what we gain. And so make room for him this morning. No one seems to have room for Jesus. His parents searched and searched until he found a barn with a feeding trough. So the question for you this morning is, have you made room for Jesus? How do I make room? Oh, I first introduce myself to him as if he doesn't already know you, but there's a, an introduction is necessary. Jesus, here I am, broken, missing pieces, lost, hurting. Heal me, forgive me. Whatever words you use, there's no formulated word process except to say, Lord, I love you. And even that piece can kind of be missing in the beginning. Because let's just be real. Human, do you love somebody the first moment you see them? Teenagers do, but now, come on, how, val how, how valid is that? They're teenagers. 
right? I'm not, I, I didn't love Jesus the first moment I encountered him. I was like, oh, what, what, uh, these people are nuts. If this is Jesus, then he's nuts, right? But there's this encounter that says, you know what? I need something in my life. I need to make room for this one who was born to suffer and die for my salvation, for me to be, have eternity with God. So make room for him. And as you make room for him, and when I say make room for him, you know, sometimes we tell people, oh, yeah, you're welcome in my home. And we give them the uncomfortable couch that's got a spring popping up in the middle of it, right? When I say make room for him, I'm talking make room for him. Give him the space to move in your life. Give him the best room that you have in your home. Because that's not what we do for guests. We give them a room. It's not the best that we have. But with Jesus, we got to give him the best space we have. Don't just carve out a corner of your heart to say, oh, I think I got room right here. There you go. You fit right here. Give him some space to move. Number two, what should you do with Christ at Christmas is love him. As you make room for him, you eventually will love him. It's just the way it works. Now, even like animals, uh, we, we're not a pet family in our home, although we tried. Maybe. <laughs> Consider it being a try. My wife would bring in a stray cat and that I'd have to clean and get shredded to pieces cleaning a cat. You know, they don't like being cleaned. I don't even, we don't know, and I'm doing dogs neither. Your dog folks come in with hair all over you. I'm too prissy for that. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Look at me. Do you look like I, do I look like I do well with dog hair on my sweater? Thank you, I would not. But we bring in a stray cat, and everybody loves and fawns over this stray cat until the stray cat grows and starts biting everyone's ankles. Whacking people, it literally this cat would whack you in the face. Uh, trying to own the territory, not market. He'd whack you in the, like, he'd get down and say he'd whack you right in the face. Like I guess got slapped by a cat. So we figured, you know what? There's there's one way to really fix this. Let's invite another cat into the home. So they can have they can be friends. And it worked for a little while. But we we realized we're not cat people, and we found loving homes for these cats that would take care of them, right? And so we realized that that wasn't a part of our life. We loved them enough to invite them, but not enough to keep them. That's kind of what we do with Jesus. In a moment like this, we realize, hey, I really need something different in my life, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite him in, but we don't end up loving him enough to keep him because what he's trying to do is break some things off of our lives that don't have any business being there. Some selfishness, some I want, some this was what I want to do with myself or my life, or the sin that is, the Bible says, sin is pleasurable for a season. I, I, I tell people all the time, you know, I, I, I dabbled in drugs and dabbled in drinking, and I did a lot of things that I shouldn't have done, and, and, I, and I sinned quite a bit of my life. And I'm not going to lie, it was pleasurable during that, that season, because that's what the Bible says it is. But when met with the fallout of all that sin, guess what? Pleasure was the last thing in my mind. 
And we can all relate to that in some way, shape, or form. Today, you would not suggest that what you went through was very pleasurable at all. But because it is, we have this idea that if I just, if I just tell Jesus I love him, but I still can then do the things that please me, I can walk this back and forth life, and it's going to work. And it will for a little while until we go back to the light and the revelation. He lights up the darkness and reveals the sin. It becomes a difficult season, a difficult way to live. You have to realize that the only way you can love, if you're, if you're a child in here, the only way you can love is because Christ loved you first. It's the only way we have the ability to love. There's people in this world that don't understand that. They're like, well, you don't have the ability to love except for Christ that loves you? Yeah. Well, that's just ridiculous. And that's not love. Right? It's, it's, it's the way that works. I can love because Christ loved me. Because me in itself some folks I really wouldn't want to love. But because Christ loved me, that he suffered and died for me, I then can love others. And so that's the goal. The goal is to understand that we are able to love because he first loved us, and then we then reciprocate that love with our life. How we live, how we walk, how we talk, it takes some time to get there. But I will say this, if you've been serving the Lord for any length of time, Eventually, you got to get from this consuming of milk to the consuming of meat. As a baby, you need the milk, you need the nutrients that the mother provides, and, and, and you need it for a season. But if that baby is now 13, that child better be eating more than just mama's milk. Because that's, that's, that's where we that's only meant for a season of growth. Then you have to go, I, my, my children don't eat, and they eat everything that there is imaginable in the house. Especially my son, grown boy. It's what they do. Eats all day, 11 o'clock at night, refrigerator's open. What am I going to eat? Like, Dude, there's nothing left. Get a job, go to the grocery store. You ate it all. And so, but this is what we do. We, 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 we try to stay in one place. And if you've been serving the Lord for five years, 10 years, 15 years, and your life still is a reflection of what it was when you first gave Christ your heart, maybe there's some things we're missing along the journey. Maybe there's some things we're holding on to that we've not allowed the love of Jesus to actually take. Because after all, if I let this go and it doesn't turn out the way that I think it would, does he really love me? Remember, we would go back to the baggage that we talked about before that we have to carry. We have to walk through that. Last thing I'm going to share with you is this. Worship team, come and get yourself set, if you would, please. What am I going to do with Christ at Christmas? I'm going to make room for him. I'm going to love him. And this is one of my favorite things to do with Christ at Christmas. Is I'm going to share him. I'm going to share him. You know, while Jesus is a gift to all of us from God, he's meant to be unwrapped and enjoyed, not just left under the tree in this prim, perfect condition. I leave Jesus there because, oh, man, it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's perfect. It's meant to be wrapped, unwrapped. It's just like a Christmas gift. You'll unwrap a Christmas present this year and you'll open it up and you'll enjoy 
what you just received, and you will use it. That's what Christ is. Christ was a gift to all of us from God, meant to be unwrapped, meant to be joy enjoyed, not just left pretty under a tree. I mean, think about it. You have the answer. If you have Christ in your heart, you have the answer to the world's troubles. You have the answer to struggle, to problem, to pain, to fear, to anxiety, to depression. You have the answer to all of that. Just share it. There's so many ways to share it. You could preach it. You could help meet someone's needs. You could use your gifting to just worship and sing. There's so many ways to share Jesus. There's no one way to do it. The one way that's right. He's meant to be shared.